Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Joanna Bloor. Joanna has nearly two decades of experience in digital, print, broadcast radio, broadcast television experience. She's a veteran in the media space. Her experience encompasses sales, sales management, operations, and advertising technology. She's worked with both startups and established organizations within the technology, online media, restaurant, and retail sectors. Successfully leveraging early successes in sales and management, Joanna has become a nationally recognized expert in advertising operations. She's also a member of High Power, which we've interviewed several women from the group High Power, and I am so excited to welcome our newest guest, Joanna Bluer. Joanna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it is my pleasure. So I was doing a little bit of research on you and your career, and I saw something that said that you have been compared to or associated with Bette Midler, Tony Robbins, and Steve Wozniak all in one. It's like you're all of these people in one. So my question is, which do you identify with most of those three people? Oh, that's a really... Gosh, I'm not sure. Somebody actually gave me that feedback once, and I was like, oh, my God, yes. You know, the Tony Robbins one I aspire to be. The Bette Midler slash Steve Wozniak is just, I, I couldn't say I'm more one or the other. It is actually part of how I try to be. I'm a big kind of sassy, jazz hands gal, and have always been full of joy and laughter, and I think the word no BS has been used quite a bit. I don't, yeah, I don't suffer that sort of nonsense very much, which is very Bette Midler, and this is the Steve Wozniak is not that I am an engineer or a technologist by any stretch of the imagination the way he is, but he's, I've watched him speak, and he's incredibly curious about technology and incredibly inquisitive about how things work and kind of pulling things apart and putting them back together and exploring that. And that's a lot of what I'm also about. I'm, you know, I'm a nerd who likes to sing is really where it comes down. So I'd say those two are the more of who I am at the end of the day. Interesting. Well, I know you talk about curiosity a lot. Talk about that as a trait that we may possess and how, um, how important the, the trait of being curious actually is. Oh, it's, it's one of the fundamentals of how everything is approached, I think. I mean, like everybody talks a lot about follow your passion or do what you love or all of these sorts of things. And, you know, if I did what I loved, I would be beside the pool in like Hawaii or Tahiti or something eating bonbons <laughs> all day. Let's be honest here. Um, like I, I love, I love the beach. I love vacations and all that sort of thing. But that's, not going well. I expect it probably will get me bored eventually. Uh, but that's not going to fulfill your heart and fulfill your soul and give you those moments where you're like, oh, I'm actually doing something important on this planet. And I've found that being curious is truly the thing that starts to manifest the things that you know you are supposed to do. And when I look at all of those moments in my profession where I've either pivoted dramatically or created something completely new or different and really had the highest what I call um, return on fun 
I believe, an ROF instead of ROI because it's, it's about the journey and things like that is really when I've said, is my motivation or is the path I'm taking really piquing my curiosity? Um, and it always, always pays back in spades. On top of that, when I'm working with teams and with individuals, there is so much, and especially today, I think more than any time before, well, actually, I think it was always there. Like Working with purpose and working to actually fill your soul has always been there. We just have never really, I think, talked about it as much because there were rules and this is how things were done. And with the, the opportunities that are out there today for people to really ask those sorts of questions, there then becomes this kind of blind panic of like, oh my God, well, what is it I'm supposed to do? And when I talk to other people, whether it's entry level to executive, I start asking them questions about what they are curious about. And if you start there, the path just opens up. Um, or if you're trying to solve a problem, whatever. It's just, it's this lovely space of heart and interest combining together. And, and it can solve all sorts of problems, whether they're personal, professional, business challenges, whatever. It's kind of magic. Yeah, I, I love that, to ask people, what are you curious about? Because it really does go to the heart, I think, because I think that we cannot possibly be curious about something that we don't care about. So, yeah, for instance, if you're, just, yeah, if you're at a party or you're someplace and no one's, you know, uh, no one's asking more than, hey, how you doing? They probably don't really care to know or care to be yeah. engaged or whatever it is. But if they're like, oh, my gosh, tell me more about how you do this or tell me more about that. It's like all of a sudden it changes the entire dynamic of the relationship because this other person obviously cares about what I have to say. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like people really, really. Like, and I will own this for myself too. People really want to matter at the end of the day. Yeah. They really do. And it doesn't matter if you were the janitor, not that that's even a bad job. Like, I, I read the articles about pride in work and its care. And, and I have no doubt that the article I read about the guy who has pride in being a janitor was curious about what it takes to sweep a floor efficiently, or whatever that is. There's, there's that piece there. And it's such a universal concept that, yeah, I start, I start with be curious. Uh, now, I don't often come out and say, what are you curious about? Because people get um, <laughs> people are very nervous about saying the right answer. We live in a world, especially with the fact that we all walk around with a PC in our pockets these days. We live in a world where we're expected to have the answers within, like, seconds. And this is a question that isn't a second answer. It's a, it's a seed plant for people who will come back to you maybe a couple of days later or a month later or a year later and go, oh, you asked me that question about something I was talking about and you, you know, you were curious about what I was curious about, and it got me thinking, and then something happened later. Um, now, sometimes it can produce fast results, but I really, I really find that the people who use the, what are you curious about, as a, I don't need an instant answer, um, really start to dig deep and start to come up with some amazing, amazing answers to the question, and then really 
again, really fascinating things can happen. Right. So it's not a leading now, a bit of, I get a bit ranty about this. I'm sorry? Yeah. It's well, not it's, leading. It can be both. It's a great way to start a conversation, especially if you're networking or trying to get to know somebody. But it's such an unusual one. Like people... People expect the what are you passionate about. People expect the what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses. Like we've all been taught how to answer those. You ask the question, well, gosh, what are you curious about? And it kind of freaks people out a little bit because they're not prepared. Again, it comes back to the we're expected to have answers so fast these days. And so I often couch it with I am, I, I believe, one of the pillars is curiosity and my other two are be kind and be brave um, and and I don't need an answer now but this is really what I want to know about you and they'll give me something uh, when you ask, ask the question but I always couch it with a little bit of like I know I'm coming at you with something a little bit different now I look forward to the world when everybody says what are you curious about today uh, it, that would be fantastic. But it is a question that surprises people still. And so I'm gentle with its approach. Well, in a very gentle way, I'll ask you, um, Joanna, what are you curious about? The list goes on. <laughs> um, I am super curious about new technology. The whole, all of the conversations about the new evolution of the workplace and the evolution of the world that we're going through. I mean, I don't know if you've heard the language around it. Like, they talk about how we went through the Industrial Revolution and then we went through the Internet Revolution and we've, we've, we are going through the Mobile Revolution. We're going through a new one, which there's like five different names for. But in essence, they're talking about how the Internet and technology will become invisible and what that means to us as human beings. So it really starts to focus on hyper, hyper personalization. There's also an entire thinking and strategy that needs to happen around data and what is appropriate data. And then how does that change us as people? One of the things I was most curious about in my, my last job was millennials, as an example. And what I learned from them, and I, by the way, I'm a huge millennial advocate or Gen Y or whatever they want to be called because they're actually just people, is the way that we talk and the way we, as in Gen X or Boomers, communicate and the way millennials communicate could not be more different if they tried because millennials woke up with a PC, like became adults with a PC in their pocket. Whereas both Gen X and Boomers, while certainly were exposed to technology, it just wasn't a prevalent. And how does that change who we are? And I, I believe that this kind of invisibility of the Internet is going to shift that again. And there's a ripple effect throughout how work is done, because work is such a big part of who we are in our lives, and how we as human beings react to that. Um, so there's that. I'm also completely fascinated by 3D printing. We are going to be a multi-planetary species eventually. We're going to have to be because we're kind of crushing this poor little planet. And, and I also think we want to be because as a species, we are immensely curious. It's, you know, why we, you know, why we found the entire planet was round and all of that sort of stuff. And one of the big gating issues for interplanetary exploration is payload. 
and the ability for us to get stuff off the planet. Well, with 3D printing, payload becomes a non-issue because you can just reprint whatever it is you need. So you're out there and you break a wrench. Well, guess what? You can re-3D print a new one. And I know NASA is already looking into it as well as private companies. And that's the kind of like, oh, my God, we're going to be on other planets curiosity around 3D printing, which really puts it out there. But then also the how does that, how does 3D printing affect us again as human beings in in our normal lives? And I'm actually working on a project where uh, I have 3D printed myself because I am on a journey around fitness and weight loss and nutrition. And this has been a part of my personal journey for years. And I found that I was just getting completely crazy about the scale. Um, and my day was made or lost based on a number on the scale. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is making me an unhappy person. I need to find a new way of looking at how do I measure progress against my fitness goals and found a company that um, basically prints me out every 90 days. And I measure success based on my little 3D lilac dolls, in essence. Um, and it's it brings 3D printing into a very personal space for me. And I just, it's how can you, I'm curious to see how other people bring this new technology that is really starting to burden in the, in the world into their personal lives. So yeah, space and personal, all of that, like I'm a bit of a futurist. This is the Steve Wozniak side of me. I love like virtual reality. It's so visceral and tangible. Yeah, it's just that's a really, really unbelievably interesting technology being developed at the moment that is beyond what the average person sees with just the mobile. Like, I think mobile technology is amazing and was really lucky to get to be part of its first iteration, but I'm kind of like, yeah, mobile mobile. That was awesome. We're now onto this next whole thing of um, innovation, and I'm really excited about the future and how it, yeah, how it comes back to us as people at the end of the day. So what is this? Oh, I could go on. Yeah. <laughs> what is this uh, company that um, helps you with your 90 days of fitness? Well, so it's not a company. So the, the printing actually happens through a company called Shapeify, who you just stand in a booth and you print yourself out. But I have an entire, so I actually do uh, a podcast as well called 3D Lila, L-I-L-A, where I talk about the process of, 3D printing myself to fitness and how I call myself a late in life athlete, which is what Lila means. But this is that it's actually a part of who I, who I am and how I approach challenges is I like to combine technology, data, and humanity because you have to have all three into solving a problem. My problem was my pants didn't fit. And so I was looked at it and I said, okay, how do I take technology, 3D printing, data, measuring the difference between my printouts, in essence, and humanity, the fact that um, when it comes to, gosh, I didn't think I would end up talking about this, I have to say. Uh, okay. When it comes to, <laughs> but it's so much part of who I am. When it comes to um, weight loss and fitness, and especially in weight loss, you know, I believe when I walk out, like I believe sitting here right now, that I am an Olympian, that I am a size four. I have this image in my head of complete and utter awesomeness. Now, I told that to a friend of mine once, and he said, well, that just sounds like self-confidence. 
the reality is, is I know that I'm not an Olympian and I'm not a size four. Um, and, but it's always a bit of a surprise to myself when I see myself in a photograph and I go, oh my God, is that what I, is that what I look like? Is that the representation of who I am? And my whole image of myself as being awesome and having all of this self-confidence means that when I have to make these 50,000 decisions every day about what I am eating, I forget that I need to focus because weight loss, you can be whatever diet or program you are on the planet. It's about focus, commitment, and about 90% about what you put in your mouth. If you want to lose weight, that is where the results come from, and it doesn't matter what program you're on. And so when I am out saying, you know, with friends and I get to make a choice at a dinner, um, getting to remind myself what I look like in real life helps me make the right decision. And so when I go out to eat at dinner, I bring my little Lila doll. Like my Lila doll travels around with me always. And I take it out and I look at it. And I'm wearing like capri pants and a running top. I basically look like you do on The Biggest Loser, just about two and a half, three inches tall. And I carry her around with me and I remind myself. It also then becomes this awesome conversation topic because everybody looks at it and they're like, oh my God, this is the craziest thing ever and it looks like you and it's a little weird and that's incredibly vulnerable and, and I go, oh my God, let me start talking to you about 3D printing and it just, it spins this entire thing out there. But, you know, I say all of this about the technology and data and humanity because the same things, that approach of how do I think about the fact that my pants didn't fit um, is an approach that you take when you are optimizing supply chain tools in a media company. You know, I think about the conversation I had with uh, a team we built at Pandora, um, which is where I was most working most recently, where we needed to build some, uh, basically, some tools that facilitated the order management process and really scale the speed of us being able to service clients at the end of the day. So really, supply chain software, if you're going to say it in the very most simplest of sense. But when we approached the project, we looked at not only at the data, the technology, but how were the people going to react to this new technology being part of their day-to-day, -day and what was the humanity behind the whole thing. And the team, because we started there, and they also taught me so much about this too. I have to say, like this is when I went way to, this is where I actually got super curious about uh, Gen Y millennials and how they approach things differently. There is technology in that software that has been built to make the users actually feel better about themselves. And I, like that's the kind of technology that I'd love to see all day. And taking an approach of how do I leverage technology and data as well as putting a human layer onto it, again, you start to see magic things happen. I'm so proud of them. They did such an amazing job. It, mm. it was a remarkable project from kind of beginning to end. So how did you end up at Pandora? Um, oh, it was a long, windy journey, but a lot of it was, a lot of it was based on the, the, the pillars that I was talking about, about being brave and curious. I was introduced to them through a friend of mine who worked there, who I had worked with, gosh, six or seven years ago. And Pandora was 
gosh, I think about 100 million in revenues when I started with them. So they had they had done the really hard work of starting a startup, and they were just starting to scale, and they needed somebody to help them figure out how to get big really fast when it came to the revenue side of the house. So I had a friend who was working there, and she introduced me to them. And you know, I had this very weird set of experiences where I had been loaned out to CBS Radio from when I was with CBS Interactive and CNET, um, so understood enough about how different the radio space was from digital media and that the language was different and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'd also, because I had been curious and stuck my hand up at CNET, had had the opportunity within CNET because they had acquired so many companies during kind of the dot-com craziness period of, of the 2000s that figuring out how to take companies and scale them and integrate them and understand how to do all of that at speed was something I had done quite a bit. And so when I kind of, when I showed up, they were like, wow, you've got this kind of magic set of skills that normally wouldn't appear in one person. And so they were like, come on down. And, and then I have to say, the management team at Pandora just kind of looked at me and said, go, go fast, go faster than you've ever gone before. We trust that you are making the right decision. Don't worry about it. And yeah, and so they really gave me the keys to build a team and um, all of that good sort of stuff to create what was, in essence, my fantasy of what I wanted to build for uh, revenue operations, ad operations, ad tech for a, a media company that was in this very digital broadcast space. And yeah, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. And I learned so, so much. But yeah, it was, it was again having, just being a bit brave and saying, oh, I'm going to stick my hand up for something that gave me all of the different experiences that gave me the opportunity. And that has been such a core part of every job I've had is, you know, I've showed up and said, well, I actually was curious about this and I was curious about that and so I learned this and I learned that and so I have these these unique set of skills that that can actually help you solve this problem. It's mm-hmm. also why, and now I'm going to go completely sideways, I actually think the whole concept of job descriptions and resumes need to be thrown in the trash. <laughs> Let me explain why. Because you don't hire anybody like you don't hire somebody because of job description. You hire somebody because you need a problem solved. And what you need when you want somebody to solve a problem are the right experiences and skills to solve that problem. And if you think about how we write job descriptions, it's like a shopping list. Like job descriptions and resumes are like a shopping list of things. And what you're not getting is this, have you solved these types of problems or have you solved have you looked at things in the kind of way that we like to look at it? You know, we talk about it, especially in Silicon Valley, like everybody talks a lot about cultural fit. Um, and is this, this person here? And that starts to scratch the surface of what it is. But I, you know, I think about how I wish job descriptions and resumes were written was this is the fundamental problem that we are trying to solve. And we're looking for the person who is inspired by that question and who has whatever set of skills to create that because you just don't know. Jobs are just not that generic anymore. You're kind of looking for the, well, yes, I did this thing over here, 
which doesn't quite look like or sound like this thing over here, and I want it to do it over there. Like, yeah, I've got a whole theory I am trying to develop around that. Um, but I do think kind of the whole job description resume thing puts us in a box. I think LinkedIn is starting to evolve that with your LinkedIn profile and what that looks like and what you can say on there. Not only about you can, yourself, but also about the company. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. Yeah, because you can lay out your LinkedIn profile sort of the way you want to. Um, so it yeah, gives you a exactly. little bit more flexibility. So one of the things you talk about is empathy in the workplace. How can a workplace reasonably exhibit more empathy or have their people exhibiting more empathy? Oh, sure. That's, well, I say it's actually relatively easy. It's, okay, you think about, like, and this comes from, here I am, trying to complete a sentence. This comes from the <laughs> fact that I have been in the startup space for the last 20 years, where everything moves at like 90 bazillion miles an hour. And what happens in that space, and especially with startup to a scaling, is, you know, you think about a startup at the very beginning, it's usually like maybe one or two people. And so they do everything and their care is on everything. And as you grow, you kind of have to let go of stuff and empower other people to do that. But it doesn't mean that the care goes away. Um, and especially when you're growing so, so fast. Like I remember one year at Pandora, we hired just the team um, that I worked with, hired 108 people in one calendar year. And you think about what that does to somebody's ego, and I know we're not supposed to have one, but you have to remember we all have a little bit of that ego because we all want to matter. So you're somebody who is, and I'm going to be really simple here, a client services person on January 1st, and you've got access to the management team and you're part of decision making and all of this sort of thing. And then by December 31st, there's now 108, there's now 109 of you because there's you plus the 108 we just hired. And you can't help but go, well, where do I matter in this? How am I not a cog in the machine? And so people have reactions to that. And sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's not. And if it's, if it's the not one, it's usually because they don't feel like they matter. And so when I talk about empathy in the workplace, and when somebody is saying, having an interpersonal challenge with somebody else, I always ask the question, have you walked in their shoes? Have you looked at this situation through their eyes as opposed to your eyes? And do you understand what other factors might be impacting this? And I know that sounds really simple. It's actually quite hard. Um, and I. I try, I don't succeed every single time, but I try to do that myself and not everybody is going to love you and you are not going to love everybody, but you know, I remember, I think about, there were certainly people who had a different style, a different communication style or whatever than I did in lots of jobs. And I found that once I started to think before I went into meetings and go, okay, how are they coming to the table? How are they thinking about this? How might they be reacting to how I'm showing up? Although my intention might be fantastic and my idea might be brilliant, 
um, you need to think about the other person because it doesn't actually matter what I think. It actually matters more about what the other person thinks. And taking that approach, you can have an adult, respectful conversation with anybody. And you can kind of call out the elephant in the room sometimes. And we often move so, so, so fast that we forget that, again, we are human beings first. And all of the other stuff comes second. Yeah, that's for sure. That is absolutely for sure. So how can people reach you? Um, I know you've got a website. You said you have a podcast. Give us some of the details. So lots of different ways. Uh, Probably the easiest thing on Twitter, um, I'm at Joanna Bloor, which is really super simple. Um, 3D Lila has her own Twitter handle as well. So she's at 3D Lila. Um, but we keep all of the brands that we work on um, under the umbrella of the Amplify Lab, which is my current project. Um, so you can go to theamplifylab.com and find all of the brands, myself included, um, that we work with under that umbrella and on Twitter, on LinkedIn, all of that good sort of stuff. So yeah, we are all over the socials, all over the internet. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Joanna, for being a part of the Female Red Zone today. I know that I learned a lot. I know you didn't expect to talk about weight loss and all of the other things that have um, gone on and you've you've you know taken charge of in your life, but this has been wonderful. I, I've learned a lot and I bet our listeners um, will learn an incredible amount uh, from listening to this podcast. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me and yep, authenticity and vulnerability if you can't put it out there then uh, you aren't who you are and if that's the only lesson I have learned in life is when you are you the amazing things start to happen so yeah be brave be curious be kind it all works out magically and be awesome so thank you so much and from the female red zone this is Mary Beth Kosmeski Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.